Glory to God. This is Dr. Ruth. How are you doing today? I trust the Lord you are doing well. So I have a question for you. Have you been blessed by the teachings in this podcast? I trust the Lord that you have been blessed because the word of God never returns void. So would you do me a favor? Would you email us to let us know how these teachings are transforming your lives? What the Lord is doing with these teachings in your life? I would really, really like to hear from you. And it will be a blessing to read about your feedback or testimonies, okay? So here is our email address, info at drruthtanyi.org. Again, it is info, I-N-F-O, at drruthtanyi.org. I thank you in advance for sending me your feedback as I am really excited to, to hear what the Lord is doing and I look forward to reading your emails and I do read all of the emails. So when you send me an email, I will personally respond. So I really encourage you to email us and let us know how these teachings are transforming your lives. Glory to God. And also please remember to share this with friends and family and check out our YouTube page facebook page and instagram and we also have a bookstore where you can uh, check it out and find other bible teaching materials right there so i pray in the name of jesus that your hearts are open to receive god's word today and you will be blessed here is the teaching welcome back this is chris horan in today's lesson we will learn how disobedience and sin led to some major consequences for the Israelites. Then, in chapter 8, we will learn of God's compassion and love as he reassured and encouraged Joshua not to be afraid. Here is Dr. Ruth with the details. Praise the Lord! This is Dr. Ruth. I am excited you are with me today. As we continue the teaching here in the book of Joshua. Today I will be covering in this session Joshua chapters 7 and 8. So let us get into it right away beginning here with Joshua chapter 7. So what is the gist of this chapter? In this chapter we will learn about disobedience, disobedience, and sin, 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 and its consequences. God takes disobedience and sin seriously, and he punishes sin seriously because God is just. We will learn that in this chapter. So let's get into it right away. Joshua 7, I will begin with the first few verses so as to set the stage. Verse 1. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Just a quick recap. We are coming from chapter 6 where the Israelites had defeated the city of Jericho. It was a miracle. So we are picking this up here in chapter 7 that the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Remember, I had mentioned this. We talked about this in chapter 6, how the Lord had given specific instructions, how the, the spoils and the plunder 
the articles of gold and silver from the city of Jericho, the Israelites were not to covert. They were not to take them. But we are going to learn how an Israelite man by the name of Achan willfully disobeyed God and sinned, and he will deal with the consequences. So we continue here, still in verse 1. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimra, the son of Zira, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. Some of them, some of the gold and silver and the articles from the city of Jericho, even though they were prohibited from doing so. So we are already learning how this man disobeyed God's instructions. This was a major transgression. He just refused to obey. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Already we are learning how God was viewing this transgression as a national scene. God is upset at the entire nation of Israel. Verse 2. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. Joshua was very confident they had defeated a very fortified city, Jericho, and now they are moving to the next battle, which is Ai. Supposedly, Ai was like a piece of cake compared to Jericho. So Joshua was very confident. Okay, let's proceed. Uh, going back to reread verse 2, now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Aven, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. Verse 3, when they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Remember, I just said here we have the spy saying that I is a piece of cake. You don't need to bother the entire army. Just send a few two or three thousand men to take it and do not weary the whole army for only a few people live there. Just what I had mentioned. Joshua was confident they had defeated Jericho. I is a cakewalk. So the spies came back. They confirmed it. Just send a couple thousand people just to go and defeat the thing. It's a slam dunk. Verse 4. So about 3,000 went up. But they were routed by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gates as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the Slopes. At this, the heart of the people melted in fear and became like water. Let's pause. What is happening here? This is interesting. Joshua is a man of faith, a submissive spirit. But we are learning right away in the first few verses, first few verses rather, Joshua did not seek God's counseling before they went to attack. I he just assume that the battle was huh, no big deal. Don't we do the same thing? We, as, we become so confident and then we are facing a minor battle and then we just don't seek God. We are like, ah, oh, I can handle this. Then we fail. No matter how minute the battle is in our lives, we should make an effort to always, always seek God because we don't know what the devil has ahead. 
Joshua did not know that the defeat of Ai was going to be a problem. He did not know that the camp was contaminated with sin. So God allowed them to lose and 36 men were killed. Okay, we come to verse 6. Joshua is shocked. Joshua is surprised. Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. He was humiliated. He just, this, these are signs of somebody who is just confused, defeated. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. This is, this, these are all signs of mourning. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay in the other side of the Jordan. Here's what's happening. Joshua is confused. He has been defeated. A city, I, that was supposed to be a cakewalk. 36 men were killed. He is confused, but Joshua did something good. And the elders, he went to God to seek why. He went to God to get answers. He did not rely on himself. He did not call upon friends like most of us do today. Whenever we are defeated in our battles, whenever we are in a crisis, we should always turn to the Lord. Because he knows it all. All right. So Joshua did that here. So I give him credit for that. And now Joshua is doubting God. Why did you bring us here just to be defeated and humiliated? Verse 8. Pardon your servant, Lord. This is Joshua. Saying, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? Verse 9, the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great nation? I like the way Joshua was bargaining with God just like his uh, boss, Moses, did. He learned this tactic from Moses. Joshua is like, man, what are the people going to think? What are you going to do with your chosen people, the Israelites, now that the enemies are going to wipe us out of the face of the earth. Verse 10, I love the way the Lord responded. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. <laughs> what are you doing down on your face? Just like God is telling us when we are getting depressed, lamenting day in, day out over problems, God is like, stand up. What are you doing? Trust me. Stand up. What are you doing? Look upon Jesus. Stand up. Trust me. This battle is won. So uh, the Lord told Joshua to stand up. Verse 11. Israel, this is the Lord speaking now. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. We see the Lord calling, lying and stealing sins. We know that. We've talked about this already. They have put them with their own possessions. Oh, -ho. here we see the Lord revealing to Joshua why I, 
a little, little mountain compared to the giant Jericho defeated them because there was sin among them. Verse 12, that is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Here is the bottom line. The Lord is telling us so clearly that when we have seen in our lives, he will not answer our prayers. When we have seen in our lives, we should not even approach him. We should not even approach him. We should not even approach him. When we have seen in our lives, we are cut off from God's grace. We are cut off from God's protection. We are cut off from God's provision until we repent, confess, stop practicing that sin. When we have sin in our lives, we open the door for our enemy, Satan, to come into our life, to kill us, to steal from us, and to devour us. And God will allow, allow it because there is sin in our life. So today, let me ask you, are you losing your battles today? Are you losing your battles today? Have you evaluated? Do you have sin, unconfessed sin in your life? A lot of times, people refuse to evaluate themselves, even though the Bible teaches us in the New Testament that we should evaluate ourselves if we are in the faith. People just refuse to evaluate themselves. They just keep expecting God to move in their lives, but yet they have unrepentant sin in their lives. God is telling us right here, he won't. We have to remove the sin. Okay, let's, let's proceed here. Verse 13, go, consecrate the people. This is the Lord telling Joshua what to do so that sin can be removed. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow. Again, these people had to consecrate themselves, purify themselves, because they are about to have an encounter with Holy God. Again, this consecration is a constant reminder to the people that God is holy. They are unholy. They have to be prepared before they have this encounter with God. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Joshua is, uh, is receiving this information from God to go tell the people. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. Just like I said, sin weakens us against our enemies. Sin blocks God's protection. Okay? In our lives. Verse 14. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward, clan by clan. This is Joshua telling the people now. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward, family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward, man by man. Boy, hey, God is so organized, so detailed the way he does his things. Oh my goodness, we serve a God of perfection, detail-oriented. He is going to expose this thing tribe by tribe, family by family, <laughs> man by man. Wow. All sin get exposed. It's amazing because Achan committed this sin 
he thought nobody knew. Mm-hmm. God knows all things. Those sins that people commit in the secret places, in their homes and in their hearts, God sees them. You might as well confess that thing, okay? Verse 15, whoever is caught with the devoted thing shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. God was going to set a precedence. He had warned them. Oh boy, some people just don't listen. They mess with God's instructions. They play with sin. <laughs> Yet the Lord Jesus teaches us in the New Testament that whatever causes you to sin, sever from it. Okay, moving on here. Still in verse 15. He has violated, violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. This is in reference to whoever coveted those spoils from the city of Jericho. Verse 16, early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was chosen. So Joshua now is putting into practice the instructions the Lord had given him so that this sin can be exposed. The tribe of Judah was chosen. Verse 17, the clans of Judah came forward. The Zahitites were chosen. The clan of the Zeharites came forward by families and Zemri was chosen. Verse 18. Joshua had his family came forward man by man and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimra, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was chosen. He is now exposed. All sin get exposed. He is now humiliated. All sin get brings humiliation. Those sins that people commit, that they think nobody knows, a day is coming, that thing has to be revealed. God will expose that thing. You would be wise to confess and stop practicing that sin because nothing is hidden in his eyes. Oh, please, nothing is hidden. We go on to um, verse 19. Then Joshua said to Akin, My son, give glory to the Lord the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. So Joshua is pleading with this young man. Tell us what happened. Repent, confess this thing. Akin replied, it is true. He is about to confess. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylon, uh, to... 100 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, I coveted them. Essentially, he confessed that he coveted the gold and the silver and he hid them in the ground inside his tent. That is what the rest of verse 21 is saying. So in verse 22, Joshua sent messengers to go to his tent to recover the hidden silver and they took it. That is verse 23, and they brought it before the Lord. We are now in verse 24. Then Joshua, together with all the Israel, here, here is now the punishment now, took Achim, Ashen, rather, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent and all that he had, to the valley of Acha, 
verse 25. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burnt them. Verse 26, over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day, meaning the day that the book of Joshua was uh, being written and when these, these events were happening. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Acre ever since. Here is the deal. Some of you may think that this punishment was very harsh, but you have to remember back in the Old Testament time, like I have explained throughout this podcast, these people were not indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And God saw their heart. God knew that some of these people would not repent. So the, 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 the punishment was immediate and final. And also number two, to set an example. Had God not done this, the other Israelites would have copied what Achan did and would have continued to disobey God and his instructions, and God was not going to allow that. He had already put up with a stiff-necked first-generation Israelite. He wasn't going to do this again. And also, some of you may think that this was so harsh that the Lord had to punish Achan by stoning him and burning everything, including his family household. Why his family, you may ask? Now, you have to realize back in that culture the man, in this case, Achen, was the head of the family, and he was responsible for maintaining his household. Even though the scriptures doesn't tell us, given the history of that culture, it is likely that the family members were aware of his sin, and they, they were in agreement. Because you have to remember, they lived in tiny tents. How could he have hidden this gold and silver in the tents without his entire family seeing it. So more than likely, God, who knows all things, knew that his entire household was guilty of this crime. So he, he punished the entire household to get rid of the sin in order for him to manifest in their lives. And lastly, surely, the bad is always what corrupts the good. Okay, so Ashen and his family who were in agreement in committing this sin had to pay this ultimate price of death. That way, the rest of the Israelites could be spared. So this is the justice of God in operation. Today, God is not going to wipe us dead. He's not going to strike us dead. But we're going to just, like I said earlier, open the door for our enemy Satan to come into our lives to kill, attack, and destroy us. And we will lift God's protection over our lives because of sin. And God would allow Satan to destroy us. So it's a similar concept, except God's justice in today's era is done differently because when there is sin, he won't be with you. And you would suffer and Satan would devour you and he would allow it. So that brings us to the end of chapter 7. But before I proceed, I want to say a few things about Achan's sin because this is so important. I want to summarize a few things. We have to understand that Achan's sin was a gross disobedience. He vehemently 
chose to disobey God's law. He refused to obey, just like all sin today is a wholehearted refusal to obey God. It was his choice. So he brought upon this final punishment on his own. And number two, it began with covetousness. He began to envy, covert the gold and the silver out of the city of Jericho. Which is why to the Lord, covetousness is a serious sin. Because all sin is conceived in the heart. When we start to covert, envy things that belong to others, we start to desire it. That compulsion can overwhelm us if we allow it to go unchecked. Unchecked meaning if you do nothing about it. And eventually, you're going to act on it. Okay? You're going to stupidly act on it to, to either hurt someone or steal and get something that is not yours to indulge your flesh. And that is sin against God because covetousness always leads to overt practice of sin. Like we... So in this situation, and this is still how people sin today. It first is conceived in the heart, then they act on it. And we talked about the fact that sin has major consequences. We may be sinning thinking that we are only hurting ourselves, but we are also hurting our family members. We are hurting others through sin. Like we saw here, Achan's sin affected his entire family. And like I said, number two, sin always bring defeat. Always bring defeat. Because God will not move in our lives when sin is present unconfessed. We saw how the Israelites were defeated because of sin. And in our own personal lives, when we have unrepentant sin, we will not succeed. Okay? And number three, because of this sin, Joshua... A man of God, a man of faith began to question God. That is what sin does in our lives. Because we are stupidly deceived by the enemy that when we sin, God is still there. And then we are not seeing God's presence in our life. We start to question God. But this, it, it has nothing to do with God. It's all the sin that leads to the questioning because we don't see the presence of God because there's sin in our life, which is why we have to evaluate and, and, and confess all sin and stop practicing sin. And then in this case, number four, in Ashan's case, God threatened to withdraw from them. And in fact, God did. He allowed the enemy to defeat them. And that is the same in our lives when we are in sin and we refuse to stop and to confess. God will allow the enemy to defeat us. And then lastly, like I said earlier, Akin's entire family suffered the consequence. Today in our lives, when we sin, our entire family members are also affected directly or indirectly. All right. So this, uh, this principle is so applicable today. Okay. That brings us to chapter eight in the book of Joshua. So what is the gist of this chapter, in this chapter, we will learn how once the sin was removed, the nation of Israel was restored and they were able to easily defeat I. So let me set the stage here by reading the first few verses. 
Joshua 8 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack I. We see how God is encouraging Joshua because he knows that Joshua has been discouraged. Joshua had lamented and now the sin issue has been resolved. The culprit has been punished. God's justice had been appeased. And now God is encouraging Joshua, get up, be encouraged, go and destroy I. Okay, so we move on here. For I have delivered into your hand the king of I, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to I and his king as you did to Jericho and his king, except that you may carry off the plunder and livestock for yourself. Set an ambush behind the city. couple of things are going on here. After that incident, the Lord encouraged Joshua. And we see how the Lord is already promising that I will bless you abundantly, exceedingly. And you, this time, you will take the plunder and the spoils from the enemy and you will possess it. You will take it for yourself. So God is a good God. He wants us to prosper. He wants to bless us. So we see how after that sin was dealt with, God is promising Joshua that I will bless you abundantly. The, the, the plunder and the livestock from the enemy, you are going to keep it. And God is setting the stage, giving them specific instructions how they will defeat I this time. He will set an ambush, which is a common tactic during wartime. So the Lord this time is going to use a familiar tactic to defeat the, the uh, eye, the enemy. Okay, we go to verse 3. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack. So Joshua obeyed the Lord. So towards the end there of verse 3, uh, we... See Joshua obeying the instructions from the Lord to set up an ambush. He told the people exactly what to do. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on the alert. Essentially, Joshua is going to implement the strategy from the Lord. He was instructing the army how they will set up an ambush to defeat the uh, people in the city of Ai. Again, we see the Lord in operation winning this battle. We see Joshua implementing God's plan and his way of winning the battle. So the rest of those uh, verses, Joshua just went on to give them specific instructions how to uh, set up the ambush. You can read that on your own. They are very self-explanatory. We come to verse 8. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. So Joshua is just reiterating that you are going to defeat and overcome the city of Ai. Set it on fire. Be encouraged. Obey my orders. This is from the Lord. Okay? And in verse 9, after Joshua had given them the instructions, he sent them off to 
place the ambush in place. We come to verse 10. Early the next morning, Joshua mustered his army, and he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. Verse 11. The entire force approached. They were heading out to go carry out the instructions. Verse 12. The ambush was set. You can read that on your own. We come to verse 13. After the ambush was set, the Israelite soldiers took their positions, waiting <laughs> for the men of Ai to come and chase them, not knowing that they've set a trap for them. In verse 14, when the king of Ai saw this, he saw the Israelites now. He and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place, not knowing that the Israelites have set a trap. That is what uh, the rest of verse uh, 14 is saying. But he, referring to the king of Ai, did not know that an ambush had been set against him. Verse 15. Joshua and all Israel let themselves be driven back before them. Again, they followed the Lord's instruction. And in verse 16, all the men of Ai uh, went after the Israelites, again, not knowing that it's a trap. In verse 17, not a person, not a man remained in Ai because they were going after the Israelites, just not knowing that it was a trap. Verse 18, then the Lord said to Joshua, hold out toward Ali the javelin that is in your hand. For into your hand I will deliver the city. So again, we see faith in action. The Lord is giving Joshua instructions to elevate the javelin, a sign of victory and a step of faith as Joshua stretched out his arm with the javelin. That city would be defeated by the Lord. So the rest of those verses is just saying that the Lord gave Joshua obeyed and... Uh, and it went on to explain how the Israelites defeated the city of Ai. You can read those verses on your own. They are very self-explanatory. We come to verse 20. And the men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city. They realized that they had been defeated. They have been deceived. And all of those the rest of those verses are giving uh, further details how Joshua and the Israelites, how the ambush was successful, how they took the city and burnt it in verse 22. Those in the ambush also came out. This is after the men of Ai ran out of their city to pursue the Israelites and they were trapped in that ambush. Then the Israelites who were in ambush came out the city and, and they overcame and attacked the people from Ai and essentially they won the battle. Essentially strategic plan given to Joshua from the Lord. The Israelites obeyed and by setting this ambush, the people from Ai were deceived. They ran after the Israelites and then they turned and saw their city in flames. And the men from, from uh, the Israelites who were hiding 
who had said the ambush came out and attacked them, killed them, destroyed, devoured everything, and took the spoils away. That is what those verses are saying. You can read the rest for yourself. We come down to verse 25. 12,000 men and women fell that day, essentially 12,000 men and women belonging to the city of Ai were killed. All the people of Ai were destroyed. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed them all. Again, Joshua was in obedience, holding his arms stretched out the javelin, and the Lord was walking. Okay. All who lived on, on Ai, that is the end there of verse 26, is just saying that they were all destroyed. Verse 27, but Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and the plunder. We talked about this already. And um, we move on here to verse 28. Uh, it's just saying that Joshua brought uh, the city of Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins. You can read that. And in verse 29, he in Paul, the body of the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until evening. You have to understand that back in the day, that is how they did it. You, or you, you defeat a city or you defeat a nation, you capture the leader, you make a display of him on a pole so that everyone can see that the leader is really dead, that we all fear of your enemy will leave. Okay, so that is why Joshua did that. He put his body on a pole for display so all of the Israelites would see that, so everybody would see that to know that, indeed, the king, the city is destroyed. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body down from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate. And they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day again remains to this day the day that the scripture was written during the time that these incidents took place okay that brings us to verses 30 all the way to verse 33 which is highlighting the renewal of the covenant after joshua defeated jericho and obviously the city of ai he renewed the covenant in accordance to instructions that moses had given him so in verse 30 we are told joshua built on mount ebal an altar to the lord the god of israel if you remember, you can go back to Deuteronomy chapter 27. Moses had given them instructions to carry out this order. And if you recall, Mount Ebu, uh, some of the Israelites stood on one side facing Mount Ebu, and the other Israelites stood on the other side facing Mount Gerizim. And if you recall, I also explained how Back then, Mount Ebo was known to be a dry land, while Mount Gerizim was, was known to have green pasture, which symbolized prosperity, fertility, and um, much fruitfulness if the Israelites obeyed the Lord. And then Mount Ebo, on the other hand, symbolized dryness and absence of God's prosperity in their lives if they disobeyed the Lord. So coming back here, we see Joshua renewing the covenant right there at Mount Ebal, just as Moses instructed him. 
That is what those verses are saying, verses 30 all the way through verse 33. And just like Moses had instructed him, if you come towards the end there of verse 33, half of the people stood in front of Mangerism. Again, Mangerism, uh, a fertile area looking onto fertile ground symbolizing prosperity if they obey and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, symbolizing dryness, absence of God in their life, if they disobey. So they did all of that there as Moses had instructed them. Coming down to verse 34, after they've done that at Mount Ebal, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. So we see Joshua doing a similar thing that Moses did, he is reiterating, reminding them how important that we never lose sight of God's word because power is from his word. So we see Joshua here reminding the people, reading the book of the law. Uh, this would be reading the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy to the hearing of everybody about the loss of God. Obviously highlighting obedience, obedience, obedience. Verse 35, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. Again, highlighting the significance of God's word to the people after such victory to remind them that indeed God is in control. Indeed, these victories are all because we are walking in obedience to God's decrees, bringing God's word into the forefront of their minds. So applicable today, having God's word in our hearts is the key to living a successful life in this dark world. So that brings us to the end of chapter 8. So what are the major principles we have learned from chapter 7 and 8? Number one, sin and disobedience and its consequences. I have already talked about that. You are aware. Principle number two, the battle is the Lord. We talked about how the Lord gave Joshua specific instructions, how to set the ambush to overcome the city of Ai. Okay, so what is the major application here? Sin, repentance. Okay, I have said that over and over, but I will repeat myself. It is relevant God takes sin seriously. In 1 John 1, 9, as New Testament believers, we are told that if we confess our sins, he, referring to God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, like I said earlier, those sins that we commit in our hearts, in the darkest place in our homes or in the office, the stealing, the lying, the cheating, giving false witness. God sees that. But this scripture is telling us that as New Testament believers, God in his love, grace, and mercy has made provisions to cleanse us from sin if we are willing to do three things. Number one, genuinely confess that sin. It cannot be coerced. We have to genuinely be convicted by the Holy Spirit 
owner accept that conviction and, and confess that sin to God or to whoever we've sinned against? And number two, like I said, number two is a confession. Number one is really, it has to come from a genuine heart. You cannot be coerced. Number two, you have to confess it. And then number three, you have to stop practicing the sin. When these three criteria are met, that is true repentance. And then 1 John 1, 9 says that when we confess it, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the blood of Jesus will restore us back into a relationship with God. And then he will answer our prayers. And then we will see his victories in our lives. But we have to confess that thing. Okay? And please take note. There are always, always, always consequences to sin. Even after you have genuinely Acknowledge that you've seen, you are not coerced and you confess it and you stop practicing the sin. There are consequences. There are always consequences. God will not absolve you from the consequences. He will forgive you, get you back into relations with, relationship with him through Christ. And in his love and grace, he will give you the power <laughs> to move forward. But there are consequences because God is just. Galatians 6 Verses 7 through 8 tells us something. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Friend, God is not mocked. When you practice sin, there are consequences. Even after you repent, but God will be there in his grace, helping you to move forward. So what is the best antidote to this? Like Jesus said, if your left eye causes you to sin, plug it out. It is not a literal plugging of your eye. It's Jesus is teaching about the seriousness to sever yourself, cut yourself off all types of sin, all bad company that can lead you into sin. Because Sin has serious consequences. Boy, consequences that you're going to live to regret forevermore. Consequences that are going to affect you for a long, long time. God will still love you because in his nature, he is love. But there are consequences to sin that will last for a long time into generations. So what is the antidote? Avoid sin. Avoid sin. Avoid sin. In Jesus' name, I hope you receive that. Father God, we thank you for today, for these lessons that you have taught us about your holiness. You are so holy, Lord. Help us to be people who accept your prompting from the Holy Spirit. Teach us, God, how not to convert what does not belong to us. Teach us, God, how to avoid bad company or bad companies that can lead us into sin. Teach us, God, how to quickly acknowledge wholeheartedly when we sin, how to quickly confess it and strengthen us to stop practicing sin. Because we know that apart from you, we are useless. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that strengthens us moment by moment, that teaches us to walk in the light as unto the Lord. We surrender ourselves to you today. We thank you that you're such a good God as you guide and lead us. 
daily. We thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for forgiveness that is already available to us through the blood of Jesus. We thank you, Father God, that we are not perfect people, but you're willing to help us as we come wholeheartedly, honestly, genuinely to seek repentance. You are always willing. Give us a heart to always turn to you. Thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name and everybody says, Amen. Don't you like to be encouraged by the Lord as he did to Joshua? Well, he has already done so through his word. So today, use the Holy Scriptures to be encouraged by God. I am Chris Oram, and I pray for God to continue to encourage you through his word today. In Jesus' name. As you have been blessed, can you bless us back with a financial donation so we can produce more teachings and bless others in return? This program is solely sponsored by the financial donations from friends and listeners like you. We need your financial support in order to reach more people with Dr. Ruth's simple but profound life-changing messages. To make a one-time donation, visit our website, drruthtanyi.org. That's D-R-R-U-T-H-T-A-N-Y-I dot O-R-G. Look for the donation button and donate right there. It is a very secure, simple, and easy process. Or, for more of an impact, would you prayerfully consider becoming a Christ-centered monthly partner with us? While on our website, you will find all of the information about becoming a Christ-centered partner. As a monthly partner, your regular prayers and financial support will enable us to produce more Bible teachings in order to reach more people and transform their lives with God's Word. For those of you who prefer regular mail, you can send your donation to us. Here's the address. Dr. Ruth Tanyi Ministries. P.O. Box 1806, Loma Linda, California, 92354. You can also email us with your questions about becoming a partner. Here's the email address, info at drruthtanyi.org. That's I-N-F-O at D-R-R-U-T-H-T-A-N-Y-I dot O-R-G. Or... You can always call us at 909-383-7978. Dr. Ruth Tanya Ministries is a federal government-approved 501c corporation, which means that all your donations are 100% tax-deductible as allowed by the law. We thank you in advance for your kind donation and prayers. We pray for God's love and presence to anchor your soul today in Christ Jesus. I am Chris Oram. Stay blessed and goodbye for now.